Well, good morning again, everyone. Hope everyone's doing well. It's good to see a lot of new faces here. Welcome. Um, it's also good for me to be back. Can everybody hear me okay over the air conditioners? Okay, great, good. Um, if you were curious where I was last week, I was in Philadelphia officiating a wedding. This is num wedding number four for me in my pastoral career. Uh, here is a picture of me with the happy couple. Uh, this is Stacer and Amanda. And uh, Stacer and Amanda were actually students that I worked with when I was in campus ministry at UConn. And uh, this, so this was a very cool wedding for me uh, to, to be able to be a part of this. Stacer was actually one of the students that I worked with the most. And if you've been around here for a while, you've heard me talk about uh, going to the UConn Freethinkers group. Uh, well, Stacer was the student that I would go and do that with. So Stacer and I had a lot of experiences trying to articulate our faith in a somewhat hostile environment, in a place where people thought very differently from us. And uh, so we have a, a special bond because of that, and so it's just really a blessing to be able to, to marry uh, him and Amanda. But uh, it's good to be back, and it's especially good to be back today because today is Baptism Sunday. And last time I checked, we have eight people this morning who are going to be baptized. That is fantastic, eight people. So because of this special occasion, I thought that this morning would be a good time for me to speak about what baptism is all about. Uh, those of you who are being baptized this morning have actually already heard a lot of what I'm going to say, so hopefully you don't mind getting a little bit of a review. Uh, but for the rest of, this, of us, I don't know if this material is going to be new or not, but whether it is or not, I hope that it will help us to really fully appreciate what we're going to witness uh, this afternoon. Now, when I think about how we understand baptism, I would say that there are two major possible errors that we can fall into in how we view uh, what, what's going on. One is to see baptism as the thing that saves us. That this ritual of going under the water is the thing that makes all the difference between an eternity of bliss or an eternity of condemnation that this one action is the thing. That's the first error. And the second error is to see baptism as something that just doesn't really matter. It's not a big deal. So these are two opposite extremes, neither of which are healthy. Let me tell you a little bit about my own baptism story. I grew up in a Christian family, and from a very young age, I heard about Jesus, and I prayed to receive Jesus into my heart when I was uh, a very small child. I'm not sure how much I understood what I was doing. I heard a story once about a kid who told his father, Daddy, I invited Jesus into my heart. And he said, uh, Son, that's great. And then he said, Yes, I also invited Batman into my heart. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know how developed my understanding was, if it was better than that child's or not. Um, but I, I do know that from a very young age, Jesus was an important part of my life. And that became more and more true the older I got. And in high school, my life really began to revolve more and more around my faith. I started to lead a Bible study at my school and 
I uh, went to multiple church youth groups and that sort of thing. So if my life was kind of like a solar system, the sun in that solar system was Jesus in a lot of ways. Um, and yet, I didn't actually get baptized until I was 21 or 22 years old. And some people, when they hear that, they're, they're very surprised. They would say, I remember in high school, sometimes I would say to people, oh, actually, I, I was, I've never been baptized. And they'd be like, what? And, and I mean, these often would be people who, you know, weren't really into living a life that was oriented around Jesus. But they had been baptized, and they'd be like, you haven't been baptized? What's wrong with you, you know? Um, so why did it take me so long? Well, there were a couple reasons it took me a while, but the biggest reason, I think, if I'm completely honest, is because at the time, I, I just didn't really think baptism mattered. I thought, well, if I believe in Jesus, if I'm seeking to follow him, if I'm even going so far as to try and share my faith with others, if I'm doing all these things, if I love God, why do I need to be dunked underwater by some guy? You know, why do I have to do that? It just seemed unnecessary to me. Now, I think the way that I felt about baptism was partly right and partly wrong. I was wrong that baptism didn't really matter. But I think part of the thinking that led me to the conclusion was right. Part of the thinking was right, the conclusion was wrong. See, what I thought was that it seemed ridiculous for my eternal destiny to be determined by whether or not I'd been dunked in the water by a pastor. It seemed totally wrong that something so incredibly significant would be decided not by my heart's attitude towards Jesus, but by whether or not I participated in this ritual. And in that respect, I still think I was right. Because baptism is not an action that determines our eternal destiny. It is not the thing that saves us. And if we think that it is, I'm afraid that that leads us down a dangerous road. Because the way I would describe it is, it leads us to think of God as very contractual rather than relational. So what do I mean by that? Well, contractual rather than relational. If someone interacts with you in a contractual way, your standing with them is dependent on certain rules. And in a contractual interaction, the key question is this. Have you met the terms of the contract? That's all that matters. If you contract with someone to paint your house, the terms of the contract will be all about um, what exactly is going to be done, how long it's going to take, what the color of the paint is, etc. And when the job is done, the main concern is going to be were the terms of the contract were fulfilled so that appropriate payment can be given and received, right? But if someone interacts with you primarily in a relational way, the most important question is not, have you met the terms of the contract? The most important question is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you see the difference there? When you contract with someone to paint your house, you don't really care whether they love you or not. It's not an issue. And similarly, the contractual view of God says God doesn't really care whether or not we love him, nor does it have much to say about whether or not God actually loves us. The contractual view of God just emphasizes that God cares whether we fulfilled the terms of the contract. 
And I think that if baptism, this, this, this ritual of going under the water, is the thing that makes all the difference in our eternal de destination, uh, then God does interact with us in a very contractual way, doesn't he? Not a relational way, but a contractual way. He's not asking so much, do you love me? But he's asking, have you fulfilled the terms of the contract? Now, one thing I've noticed is that when we have a contractual view of God and how God interacts with us, it can lead us down some very unfortunate paths. For example, uh, if you think that your relationship with God is contra contractual and baptism is the core condition of that contract, then that leads to other questions like, well, what really counts as baptism? Do I have to be immersed or is it okay if somebody sprinkled water on me? And it might lead to questions like, um, well, is, does my baptism count if it was done by a Christian friend, or does it have to have been done by a pastor or a priest? Or maybe, does my baptism count if the person who was baptizing me said over me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, or did they have to say in the name of Jesus? Is, are there certain words that have to be said over me? See, a friend of mine, he grew up in a church where they taught not only that you had to be baptized, and if you had not been baptized, there was no way you were going to be saved. But they also taught that you had to have certain words said over you in order for the baptism to count. They said, the, the, whoever is baptizing you has to say, in the name of Jesus. If they mess up and say, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, then it doesn't count. And I don't know exactly how they got there, but that's what they taught. Think of what they're saying about God and what God is like when they taught that. Now that perspective probably sounds extreme to most of us, as it should. But what we need to realize is that when we have a contractual view of how God interacts with us, a view like that really isn't that far-fetched. Because it's not a big jump to go from, there's no way you're going to be saved unless you have participated in this ritual of going underneath the water, to, there's no way you're going to be saved unless you participated in this ritual of going underneath water and have had the right things said over you when it happened. See what I mean? The contractual view of God can lead us to dangerous places. And probably the most dangerous thing about it is that it discourages us from having true intimacy with God. Because a contractual relationship does not foster intimacy or friendship. It's cold. A contractual relationship is not like the embrace of a loving father who's welcoming you home. It's more like a stack of uh, paperwork with legalese language. And I believe that one of the things that Jesus came to do is to set us free from the contractual view of how God interacts with us. You might remember that the religious leaders of Jesus' day had developed a very contractual view of how God interacts with us. And that meant that they emphasized rules, rules and regulations. They saw God as so contractual that they created rules and regulations that he had not commanded them. And then Jesus came into that environment, and he lived, and he taught in a way that proclaimed God is relational. There's so many ways that Jesus did this. I, I'm not even sure where to start, but... One example I want to talk about is the contrast between the religious leaders' understanding of the Sabbath and Jesus' understanding of the Sabbath. 
Now, God had commanded the Jews to honor the Sabbath one day a week by not doing any work. And because the religious leaders had such a contractual view of God, they created all these additional rules and regulations around that rule of the Sabbath. So they said things like, well, you can't pick grain when you're walking through a field on the Sabbath. Uh, and you can't heal someone on the Sabbath. Because supposedly both of those things would count as work. But then Jesus comes along and he, he does both of those things on the Sabbath, unashamedly. And when the religious leaders questioned him, he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the point of the Sabbath is not to create a rule that you have to be a slave to. It's not supposed to be a burden. The point of the Sabbath is to bless you. The point of the Sabbath is to give you an opportunity to take a break, to have a rest. And you know what? If that's the point, it's not really a big deal if you pick some grain when you're walking through a field. Or if you heal someone when they come across your path, if you, in fact, have the capacity to do that. But the religious leaders missed that because they were focused on the rule itself, not on the purpose of the rule. And the reason they were focused on the rule rather than the purpose of the rule is because they had a contractual view of the way that God interacted with them, not a relational view. And so Jesus really upset expectations because he lived in a way that said God is about relationship more than he is about the rules. And so I think we need to be very leery of any view of baptism that, that makes God out to seem contractual rather than relational. And that's not the only reason I think we need to avoid seeing baptism as the thing that saves us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And I want us to hear those words. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. The thing that saves us is not whether or not we've participated in this ritual, although it is very important. I'm going to get to that in a moment. The thing that saves us ultimately is the grace of God. And what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. What saves us is the fact that God has chosen to show his favor to us. He has chosen to forgive our sins. And the way that we receive that grace is through trusting in Jesus. Because Jesus, who is the revelation of God to us, shows us what God is like. And through Jesus, we see a God who is willing to bear our sin rather than condemn us for it. We see a God who is willing to suffer and die on a cross so that we don't have to. So the thing that saves us is the grace of God, and the one who reveals that grace is Jesus Christ. Now, I said there's two errors that we can fall into. We talked about the first one. That's the error that I avoided as a young Christian. But unfortunately, even though I avoided that error, I fell into the second error, which is to think that baptism didn't really matter. But baptism does really matter. It is a big deal. And for the rest of this morning, I want to talk about why that is. So the first reason that baptism matters is because it is a powerful symbol of a spiritual reality. 
Now, I realize that if any of us are used to the view that baptism is the thing that saves us, calling baptism a symbol might feel like it diminishes its, its significance, right? It might seem like a little bit of a slight on baptism. I've noticed that some people will say things like, oh, you think baptism is just a symbol. But what I want us to realize is that symbols matter a lot. Symbols are a big deal. Symbols have power. Uh, for example, uh, if you were walking down the street, you're looking for a restaurant to go to, and you see the first restaurant that, that pops up and you go to turn into it, and on the door there is a big swastika, I would hope that most of you would think, you know what, I don't think I want to go in there, right? That would have a powerful effect on you. Now, that swastika in itself is not a Nazi, right? Uh, the swastika is not in itself racism or genocide or cruelty. Literally, all the swastika is is a couple of lines bent in a certain way, right? Uh, but it is, it is a symbol of Nazism and racism and genocide and cruelty. And as a symbol, it has incredible power to make most of us, I would hope, run in the other direction. In fact, that symbol has so much power that I won't even put it up here on a slide as an example right now. That's how powerful it is. Symbols are powerful. Have you ever thought about how every word that we use is really just a symbol? If I say the word phone, that word is not actually a phone. It's a particular arrangement of syllables and sounds that you hear and it symbolizes a phone, but it's not actually a phone. And that's how all language works. All language is symbols. But even though words are symbols, they have a power to communicate and also to transform. And what I want us to recognize is that baptism is an especially powerful symbol because, and this is, this is really important for us to realize, baptism is the symbol that God himself has chosen in order to communicate what has happened to those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. It is the symbol that Jesus Christ himself has chosen. Some symbols are better than others, right? Some symbols are more powerful than others, and some are more effective at communicating truth. But I think we can trust that if God gives his stamp of approval to a certain symbol, it's a really good symbol and probably a very powerful one. And when it comes to communicating what has happened to those of us who believe in Jesus, God's stamp of approval on baptism is, 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 should mean a lot to us. So, like I already said, baptism is a powerful symbol of a spiritual reality. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the Bible is clear that there is so much more to reality than what we can see. And... We call what we can see physical reality, and we call the rest of reality that we can't see spiritual reality. Now, the spiritual reality, the spiritual realm, is very, very real. I, in fact, I go so far as to say it's even more real than the physical realm. But because we can't see it with our physical eyes, we need physical symbols in order to help us to understand what's going on in the spiritual realm. And baptism is God's choice for the physical symbol of what's going on in the spiritual realm. 
And I can think of at least three uh, spiritual realities that baptism is meant to represent. And I'm going to go through these really quickly, um, but they're important. So three spiritual realities baptism symbolizes. The first one is it symbolizes the cleansing from our sins that we have through Jesus. Cleansing from our sins that we have through Jesus. Every one of us has done wrong. Every one of us has sinned. And because of that, we are all deserving of punishment for our sins. But because of what Jesus has done, the Bible says that God has washed away our sins. That is a spiritual reality. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. Now, you or I, we can't look at our souls and literally see the sins being cleansed from them, right? But baptism is a physical way of expressing that beautiful spiritual reality. That, because water cleanses, right? And so when we get into the water and that water washes over us, it represents the fact that through Jesus, our sins are gone. Our sins have been washed away. Second thing baptism symbolizes is the spiritual rebirth that has taken place in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17, beautiful verse, says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So the Bible teaches that when we put our faith in Christ, we are made new. The, the old sinful version of ourselves dies away, and a new reborn version of, of ourselves uh, comes into being. That's what happens in the spiritual realm when we put our faith in Jesus. And baptism is an awesome symbol of that because when we go under the water, that's the symbol of the old self going away. And then when we rise up out of it, that's the, sim that's the symbol of the new self coming into being. And then finally, third thing it symbolizes is our union with Jesus. Now this is a concept that's a little strange. I think it's a little hard to grasp, but it's actually all over the New Testament. And it's the idea that when we put our trust in Jesus, we are, in a very real sense, in the spiritual realm, united to Jesus. Um, so just as Jesus died and was buried and then rose again, uh, we also, after death, will rise again because we are united to him. One way of putting this is that when we put our faith in Jesus, who we truly are, our true identity, is rooted now in our relationship to him. Who Jesus says we are is who we truly are. And who he says we are is that we are redeemed, uh, we are forgiven, we are free. And baptism, again, is a great symbol of that union because like Jesus was buried, we go down under the water and then with him we rise up. All right. So that took us a little while, but that is the first reason why baptism matters. Uh, the rest of the, the reasons we're going to go through a little bit more quickly. Second reason it matters is just because Jesus wants us to be baptized. In Jesus' last words to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, he gave what we now call the Great Commission. And he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. So right there, it's clear. Jesus commanded his first followers to practice baptism. 
And not only that, but Jesus also chose himself to be baptized during his earthly life. So clearly, baptism matters to Jesus. He cares about it. And if it matters to Jesus, baptism should matter to us. So when we choose to be baptized, it's very significant because we are choosing to be obedient to Jesus. Baptism is an act of obedience to Jesus. And this is one of the reasons why it's so powerful. Because when we choose to be obedient to Jesus, good stuff happens. I really believe that. I think that sometimes God releases certain gifts to us when we choose to be obedient to him. And I think there are times where he withholds on releasing certain gifts, not out of punishment or anger towards us, but because he wants us to fully step into who he is calling us to be. He wants us to experience the fullness of life. And so sometimes he'll withhold something until we are obedient so that then he can bless us with it when we walk in obedience. And so I've heard stories of people being baptized, maybe after years of being a Christian, and when they are baptized, then they suddenly find themselves with spiritual gifts that they never had before. Or maybe they suddenly find themselves able to resist certain temptations or habitual sins that they were never able to resist before. And I don't like to say to somebody who's baptized, I can, I can tell you for sure that this is going to happen because I don't know how God is going to work in your life. He works in everybody's life a little bit different. He, he interacts with us as individuals because he is a relational God. Um, but th this sort of thing does happen sometimes. When we are obedient to Jesus, good stuff happens. And baptism is one great way that we can be obedient to him. A third reason that baptism matters is because it is a public way to express our commitment to Christ. And you know, the truth is, we really need the opportunity for that public expression. We really do. Uh, it's good for us. It's good for whoever is expressing that commitment, and it's also good for the community as a whole. And in this way, the analogy is not entirely perfect, but I think that baptism has some, some uh, commonalities with a marriage ceremony. Um, a good marriage ceremony is going to be a blessing both to the couple who's getting married and to everyone who attends the wedding, right? Uh, because it is a clear public expression of love and commitment between two people. Clear public expressions of love and commitment are a good thing for a community. And similarly, baptism is a clear public expression of our love for Christ, as well as his love for us. And when we participate that, it, it benefits all of us. But also like with a marriage ceremony, it's not baptism that creates the love that God has for us in the first place. That love is already there. If you go to a wedding ceremony and the couple doesn't love each other yet, you're going to think, well, this is a bit of a problem, right? Right? The love should exist already, right? But the, the ceremony is the public declaration of the commitment um, that the two people who love each other have for one another. So similarly, God's love for us precedes our baptism, and our love for him should precede our baptism. But baptism gives us the opportunity for that public expression of commitment. 
All right, and finally, one last reason that baptism matters is because baptism is a way of connecting ourselves with followers of Jesus all over the world and all throughout history. Guys, this sacred symbol has been used since the time of the first disciples until now in Christian churches everywhere, across denominational barriers, different languages, different cultures. And when we choose to be baptized, when we uh, witness and celebrate a baptism, we are connecting ourselves to this movement that is so much bigger than ourselves, so much bigger than our local church and our little corner of the world. We're connecting ourselves with a worldwide movement that is thousands of years old, that has survived persecution and corruption and daily attacks from the devil himself, and yet it's endured because it's led by the Holy Spirit. And so we are saying when we get baptized, yes, I am a part of that, and I want to be a part of that for the rest of my life. And that matters. So I am so glad that we are all going to get to share in witnessing eight people do that today. So hopefully this is helpful. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be praying that as we witness these baptisms and as we experience these baptisms, um, that God reveals himself to us in a powerful way and um, that we are each moved deeply um, by the experience. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for this sacred symbol of a spiritual reality that you have given us, God. We thank you that there is power in it. We thank you that there is power to communicate and to transform. And Lord, we thank you so much for what it represents, that you have cleansed us of our sins, that you have forgiven us, and that we can rise to new life through you. God, I pray that you would help us to, to experience this this afternoon exactly as you would have us experience it. Lord, I pray that as those who are being baptized are obedient to you, that you would unleash uh, a new level of, um, of encounter with you, that you would grant them uh, new gifts and, and uh, new spiritual insights and uh, a new degree of freedom uh, from sin um, and from uh, the patterns of this world, Lord. We just pray for greater freedom uh, and greater love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.